a child's death that has haunted the town of Pekin for the past year. On November 18th, 13-year-old Robert B. was reported as a runaway by his mother. However, we have been in touch with the Illinois State Police and are in the process of entering information of a missing or endangered person advisory. What happened to Robert B. brought people in Pekin out to search for answers themselves weekend after weekend. Thousands of leads poured into the Pekin Police Department. The search for the teenager coming to a halt on a hot July day when his skeletal remains were found. Listening to Ashes to Ash TV, The Disappearance of Robert B, Episode 24, Justice for Bonsai. I first started working on the Robert B case when I had posted on Instagram looking for a cold case. And within like 15 minutes, I had gotten three people separate from one another um, asking about Bonsai or the Robert B case. Some of these messages read Robert B from Pekin, Illinois. His case is only a few years old, but it seems as though nothing is being done on it anymore. There are Facebook groups dedicated to his memory. The official Finding Justice on Robert B. has a lot of comments and information. YouTube had videos put out by the police. Yes, I agree. Robert B. Little boy that disappeared and was then found dead. A lot of people speculate his mom is responsible and others speculate the police are responsible. Plus, many undesirable people are in the mix. I thought that was really interesting that three people unconnected to one another had reached out separately just from me posting. And the fact of the matter was, I'm, I live in New Jersey and that case was all the way in Illinois. So I was really curious why so many people from an entirely different state had reached out about the same case. I think what first attracted me to working on the Robert B case was the picture of him with that smiling face and that gap tooth. Robert B. was a small boy with a big smile and red hair, his face speckled with freckles and big brown eyes. And I knew I had to look into that further and try to figure out what had happened to him. Please drive. I loaded up my van and punched Pekin into the GPS and hit the road. When I started though, I kind of thought it was going to be a little bit more cut and dry than what it ended up being. I had read everything online that I possibly could on the case and one of the first people I had met with who had chosen to remain anonymous um, had a plethora of information in a folder. She sat us down at a table and she had all these papers spread out and she gave us an entire notebook of information that had to do with this case. Within that, I kind of saw a lot of arrows pointing towards Lisa B., obviously Robert B.'s mother, and Keith Brackett, a gentleman who lived maybe two blocks from Lisa's house, who had kind of a set up a tent city kind of in his backyard for you know runaway teens or teens who were um, looking for a spot away from their parents a little bit so it really seemed like a decent suspect when I first started this and even to further that a bit I had met with Chief Dossie at the time and Detective Rainey who was a detective at the time 
and we had mentioned Keith Brackett and although they didn't confirm that that was their main suspect you could tell during the initial talk with them that they also believed it was Keith Brackett. So not only had it been in publications, but it also was pretty well known throughout the community that that's kind of where the police were thinking that this case was going to go. Keith Brackett also was a very attractive target as far as somebody who might have murdered Bonsai because the body is found on the back of one of his relative's property. He did mow the lawn at and he was familiar with that property. And that house is probably about two miles away from the house he was currently residing in. As I got into the case a little bit though, my conviction of kind of looking at him as the main suspect started to wane. One of the first things I really started to dig into was trying to see who was living with Lisa at the time and some of the teenagers who had been staying on the back of Keith Brackett's property. They all kind of seemed to be intertwined. They all seemed to hang out. We had video footage of Lisa in the tent setup that Keith Brackett had had in his backyard along with Bonsai. So I kind of felt like that group of kids was probably the first one I needed to target to find out what might have happened to Robert B. As I started heading down that road further, I realized that a lot of the teens were struggling with possibly their home lives and they had kind of hung out with Keith and Lisa because Lisa and Keith were treating them more like adults and allowing them to do adult activities in front of them, like smoke marijuana, drink. Lisa B. explained to me. I knew the kids hang, hung out at there. That was only because he bought the kids alcohol, drugs, what weed if they wanted it, that's what they got. Bonsai sounded like the type of teenager who kind of looked up to the older kids and wanted to be cool like them. He would want to be part of that, hanging out with that, participating in those activities. His mom had smoked pot with them. It sounded like they had stolen computer cleaner from Walmart to huff, including his mother, it sounds like, had even huffed with him at one point. So I don't think that this was too far-fetched, that Bonsai would have done drugs with a teenager. There might have been some inappropriate things happening with the teenagers, but was it of a sexual nature ever, or is that what led to Robert B's death? I had started asking the young ladies who had been on Keith Brackett's property. Keith is uh, significantly older than they were, um, almost double their ages. But as I talked to them further, it did sound like Keith Brackett was a flirt, but it didn't sound like anybody who was actually within those walls of the tent city Keith had created had had any relations with Keith or had been sexually abused by Keith in any way. And then to top it off, Keith is also transgender. Lisa continues. He would wear pink Hello Kitty pajamas, paint his finger and toenails, pink or purple. So I knew right off the bat he was out there. 
And in Pekin, Illinois, it doesn't really seem like being transgendered would be all that accepted. And the reason I say that is while out there doing interviews, I heard many not only racial slurs, but slurs against gay and lesbian people. Um, and so I would feel that transgender would definitely fall into that category. Keith had been named a suspect even prior to the bones being found. If you take the time to go through a lot of the Facebook groups that sprung up around the time of Bonsai's disappearance, you can see these posts basically accusing Keith Brackett. Some of these posts said, Who was Lisa dating at the time? I heard Keith Brackett, but have no personal knowledge. Keith Brackett said in a post, Because I was a friend of Lisa and Robert, I am a suspect now. I went to Warden, Illinois on the 18th for work and came back just for Robert and let the police have my phone for info 30 days after he went missing. Anonymous. And I believe all three of them are guilty. That's where my concerns kind of really started to, to seep in a little bit. So I had really at that point started digging into tips that had been coming in to see what other theories might have existed out there. And that's when Kendra came out of the blue. And uh, she told me one night that it was an accident. And then recently Randy, Randy Snydell, he just told me that like, yeah, and that's what happened. Who was all at the house? See, uh, there was Josh McCurry, and Teresa Vincell, um, Jonathan Tandy, uh, Nick Phillips was there. See, this is a place people, you know, this is the place that people hung out at, were getting high at, and there was a lot, you know, and I know all these people because I was, you know, so um, yeah, it's crazy. And when I first heard it, obviously, Kendra, you could tell it's a very big drug community. There is a lot of meth that goes on in that community, along with other things like K2, Spice. Uh, I knew she was part of that community. So I kind of took it with a grain of salt and I really sat with the information for quite a while because she had been at that point the only person who had come forward. Through this, I remembered a Facebook message I had gotten from someone almost right out of the gates when I had first started this case. And in that Facebook message was pictures of all the people that Kendra was talking about. So I had messaged them back just asking, you know, what made them send those images. And they said it was a theory that they had heard early on. So as I was sitting on this information, I really wanted to make sure that the Pekin police had all the information I had, because one thing that's really important to us on this show is we're trying to help enact change in regards to these cases. So I wanted to keep them abreast on all the things that we were finding out. While in the car, I explained to my investigator. So I was in there with Rainey Dossie and there was someone from like the public relations, but he was like, writing down all the names, they wanted like everything I had. I very much got the impression that they had not heard what I knew. But even before I got to the cops, I had gotten a call from another person who had given me information about what had happened to Bonsai after he had been murdered, that he had been put in a cooler in somebody's garage.
With that information, it was almost confirmation of the first part of the story because it involved similar people. But it was now about what happened to his body after the fact. This person who called was not in the drug community, um, who did choose to remain anonymous. This person's holding the second part of that story, and Kendra has the first part of that story, and they don't seem to know each other on a personal level. At this point, I had given the police all the information. Uh, a couple months had gone by, and they never even talked or attempted to talk to the people I had mentioned. And so that really kind of bummed me out, but I was like, okay, I kind of always knew I'd probably be on this road alone, so I decided to just keep pursuing it. As I started doing that and getting in deeper, it seemed like more and more people were coming out with this same story that Kendra had or some version of it. Kendra reveals to me. Randy tells me that, I said, well, that the little boy was being annoying, you know, I don't know what was going on, but Josh pushed him and he fell down the stairs and he died instantly. They broke, he broke his neck. This compares to what Teresa Vansell tells me. Josh McCreary was uh, messing around, her name's Kendra. She goes, well, Josh didn't mean to, Teresa. He just yanked him up by his neck, you know, and it was an accident, you know. He shoved him down the stairs at Jerry Birch's house. The story always changed slightly. It was never the exact same. But I think the thing that did remain the same through all of it was that everyone kind of seemed to believe that Josh McCreary actually was the one who killed Bonsai. And as I started to look into that further, a lot of people were mentioning Jonathan Tandy's name. And so I had to kind of figure out how Jonathan Tandy fit into this entire picture. So I questioned Kira about him. Did you ever see or notice Jonathan Tandy hanging around at the house? Yeah. I know Jonathan, like I said, usually supplied a lot of the stuff. Kendra continues. Jonathan was sleeping with his mom or something like that, but it was just. You think Jonathan was sleeping with Lisa? Yes. Mm -hmm. He liked older women, he was sleeping with her, Jonathan. Okay. And he's younger and he's, he's always with older women because he's... So once I had found out that Jonathan Tandy and Lisa had had a sexual relationship and he had even spent time over at their house, it made it very clear to me that Bonsai would have known who Jonathan Tandy was. And again, Jonathan Tandy was a teenager at the time, so I feel like Bonsai being attracted to the older teenagers and wanting to be cool and hang out with them would have gravitated towards Jonathan Tandy relatively quickly. So once that started to kind of come together, it really made me start to think, wow, this, this theory could actually hold water. And I really kind of wanted to investigate that even further. So we're here for the third day where we have sat and waited for Jonathan Tandy to show up for his interview. And again, he did not show up for his interview. I think one of the things I was able to check off the list almost immediately is Lisa's involvement with Bonsai's murder. On the night of the 16th, were you at home or what were you doing? The night of the 16th, we had went to Peoria. I had stayed there on the night of the 16th and the 17th. Although I'm not saying her behavior didn't lead to what happened to Robert B., I don't believe that she was 
firsthand responsible, meaning she actually murdered Banzai, which a lot of people seem to believe. But if you had looked at the timeline on the day that he officially went missing, there was really no way for her to have been involved with his murder. And after he had gone missing, there was people around her almost at all times. So her murdering him after the fact didn't seem to hold water either. I decided to speak with Teresa Butts, who was Robert B's babysitter and also the mother of one of Robert B's friends. Every night when he'd stay at my house, he would call her on the phone. Okay. And he would, how are you doing, mom? Good night, you know, stuff like that. And then the one night, though, on the 17th, they did get into an argument over the phone, over cigarettes. Lisa B explains. He called my cell phone at like 11, 11.30 at night. Oh, wow. Mom go buy me a pack of cigarettes. I said, no, I'm not buying you a pack of cigarettes. So he started calling me a B word and everything else and cussing me out on the phone. There were other things involved there that made me think there was no way that she hurt Bonsai either. And that's the fact that he was, even though they had what I would say a very dysfunctional relationship, they were kind of everything to one another. It sounded like he was very much a mama's boy. It sounded like they were in communication consistently. He calls me back and says, Mom, I'm sorry. I love you. And then we did our routine where I would tell him, night, night, sleep tight, don't let the bed bugs bite. Even the night before he went missing, the story with the woman who was watching him, Teresa Butts, her family and the story with Lisa lined up. Uh, the phone calls that were made between Bonsai and Lisa, everything seemed to line up perfectly. And then the following day, she was at Patty Adams' house, sleeping off, partying the night before. Patty then says, It was my nephew's get-together, Mike's. Okay. I mean, it was just a handful of people, five at the most. It was that one night, that was the first night I've ever met her, no, what, oh, November crazy. 17th. So the be to the best of your knowledge, on the 17th she got there between 5 and 6, and she stayed there until about 3 o'clock on the 18th. Did you ever see any possibility, is there any possibility that Robert ever came into your house no. that night? So I think with all of that, I just couldn't find time that Lisa would have been able to murder Bonsai and hide his body and then get back with the cops. It just didn't seem to make sense to me at all and it didn't fit with the timeline. Now that obviously doesn't mean that there wasn't a request made or something along those lines, but as far as her actually hurting Bonds, I, I could not make that connection whatsoever. So that really left potentially Keith or this Josh McCreary theory. One of those names that Kendrick talked about also was Teresa Vansill, um, that somehow she was involved or knew what happened. And then shortly after that, a video surfaced of Teresa. I know what happened. I thought about it all hardcore. I want to thank you, because you're the one who solved this case by lying your lying mouth on ashes to ashes. It sounded like she was saying she was having a dream or an image of what had happened to Robert B, but it so closely lined up with what Kendra said happened to Robert B that it really kind of made the hair on my arm stand up. Jonathan reaches over and hands him a hitter because he wants it. Robert smokes it, trying to be cool like the big boys, while he loses it 
Josh is sitting there and he's all spiced out. You need to shut your friend up. Kendra's sitting over there shooting up like usual. Everybody's got to be cool, right? Josh don't like repetitive noise. John realizes he's fucked up here. Robert is out of control. He's sweating. He's starting to feel sick. He's scared. He wants to go home. Jonathan's trying to tell him, no, man, just sit down. You're going to be all right. <sighs> she goes into great detail about what happened to Robert B. And it seemed to line up with a lot of things that were being said. And it was a very concerning video. And within probably 48 hours, it had been taken offline. Luckily, we had already had a copy of it at that point. But the content within that was very disturbing. All of a sudden, Robert just drops. Jonathan's, oh my God, dude. What's wrong with him? Is he having a seizure or something? Everyone's in a panic. Josh gets up. Hey, man, he's faking it. He gets over top of Robert. He grabs him by his throat. Motherfucker, quit. Dude, knock it off. Straighten the fuck up. He's slapping him. John's like, no, he's not. I need to get him help, man. He jerks Robert up by his throat, and he's angry. Quit fucking with me, dude. Wake up. He's slapping him, thinking the kid's going to come out of it, right? No, Robert turns blue. Josh is freaking out. Guess what? Josh crushes his larynx, not on purpose, but in goddamn fear. Kendra's like, get him over here in the freezer. We'll figure out later on what to do. Let's get the fuck out of here. We didn't do it, you guys, right? I had taken that video along with the video I had gotten uh, of Jerry talking, and I had sent it both to a contact at the FBI, and I had sent it to the Pekin police and the state's attorney. Really, kind of nobody responded to me at all. I had finally gotten Kira, who had come forward with a similar story to Kendra and Teresa Vansill, to go and talk to Detective Rainey, and that didn't really seem to help out either. And I'm pretty sure maybe the problem is is that everybody's saying they heard this rather than they personally saw it themselves. So I don't know if it was ever taken seriously from that point of view. So really when I started to put the pieces together, we have Kendra telling this story and we had this person who called who told the second half of this story, which was that Robert B. was then put into a cooler and kept in a garage. The actor portrays Jerry Birch in another interview while I portray the interviewer. Um, how came into it is I guess they took that cooler and put it in his garage. Was that your cooler? It might have been. It was a cooler that was in the basement. So I went to the person who was potentially involved in what happened after. While in the car, I read the conversation I had with this anonymous subject. This is me writing to him. I'm so happy your friend requested me. I was hoping I could chat with you. Also, we can chat off the record and 100% anonymous. Please let me know if we can set something up. And then I gave him my phone number. And he writes, wow, now I'm curious and a little confused. Only one of the three people who came forward said the thing about your garage. Their stories all match up, however, except for your name being mentioned. Please let me know your thoughts and my apologies if this is upsetting. Thank you for speaking with me about this. So now I haven't heard back. First thing I looked up was the address of where this person lived, and it was less than a mile from where Robert was eventually found, where his bones were found. But later on, 
I found out that there were other two other uh, locations where there were garages that this person owned. Those garages were extremely close to where Bonsai lived. The story had gone that Josh McCreary had put something in this person's garage and a fight had broken out over what had been put in the garage and that it needed to be removed. We have a person who claims that they witnessed you and Josh discussing something of Josh's in your garage. The witness said they overheard you say to Josh, you need to get that cooler out of the garage, it's starting to stink. We arrived at Andy's house. When Jeff described moving the cooler, do you remember what he said about that? Or how did you find out that he, he moved the cooler? He said that they paid him to move a cooler in my head. He don't know what's in it. He just took it out and dropped it off because he said South Pekin. I don't know where or whatever, but it might have been to a house or something or somebody else. And I've never asked him. And But in my mind, they used him. Do you think the cooler was just sitting on the ground or was it sitting on something? It was, it was on the ground. It was on the ground yeah, by the fence. And it was blue, but the, the top was no longer white. It was kind of like an orange, but it almost looked paint. But there's chains on top of it. Okay. Like, like it looked yeah, like it, it couldn't open the handles, it. it was, of, yeah, it was locked. Oh, it was like a had serious had chaining a, job. Uh, Lock, lock on it. We had never told people on the show where the cooler had been. We had talked about the cooler, we had talked about it being in a garage, but we never talked about where that garage was. While driving around town, Andy showed us where she saw the cooler. Or well, up a little further. Go, okay. you can see that slat, it's right here. You can see that slat? Yep. Right there was the cooler. The crazy thing about this is she took us to the location that the other two people basically had said the cooler was at. So now we have a third person confirming this cooler story who doesn't have any close connection with the other two people who had come forward. I was trying to make a connection for why, if the body was on the back of Keith Brackett's relative's property, why that that would have involved Josh in any way. So it wasn't until a little while in I had gotten a call from somebody who was very familiar with Josh. I was able to confirm this. Uh, they had told me that Josh had not only been on that property, but he had also known that the property was abandoned. Another reason is Keith Brackett had been named a suspect very early on. And with that, people knew that his family owned that property. So if you were trying to frame someone or build in confusion to put the body on the back of Brackett's property that way would have led a clear line to Keith Brackett. One thing I was looking for is sexual misconduct because if something like that happened to Robert B, I was trying to see if this was in anybody else's background. And one thing I was able to uncover is Jonathan Tandy Jr. had been accused of being found in a woman's house. The document read, the woman said she woke up to find Tandy in her bed and sexually fondling her. She arose and ran to her bedroom door to find it locked. On Josh McCreary's side, he has orders of protection against him. When I had been getting tips from the community about a woman and her child being raped uh, while doing drugs with Josh McCreary, I was able to confirm the story was accurate and that Josh McCreary had been picked up for it. 
We're talking about a sexual assault on a very, very, very young child here. Josh McCreary doesn't seem to have spent any time in jail for it, but there was an order of protection put up against him for this incident. I tried to reach out to the person who was listed on this claim, um, and they were not interested in going on the record or talking further about it. Um, they seemed very scared. It's a very upsetting thing to hear that two men have been involved in incidences like this and they're both still walking around. So I think that's something to think about when thinking about what might have happened to Bonsai. Robert B. was the first kind of investigative story that I did and I was really thinking that maybe we could clear up some myths and maybe kind of show the arc of the story and what might have happened to Robert B. And instead, it became kind of an all-consuming fight for justice. As things stand today, I don't know if or how to get anyone to listen to the information that's come forward on this case. We, I mean, held a protest to try to get the state police to take a look at this, and I don't know if that had any impact. Um, the Pekin police do not seem to have really been very interested in the information we gave them, or at least it didn't seem like they followed up on any of it. At one point, I did give the information to the FBI, but it sounds like they're more interested in civil rights or uh, trafficking cases, and this didn't seem to fall into cat that category, so they didn't seem to really be responsive. And the state police also didn't seem to be very responsive. The only thing I ever heard from the state police was a Carrie Inglet who called to let me know I should not be going into abandoned houses. Protesters honked their horns in support of Bonsai. I got a slap on the wrist for that, but they, no one seemed to care there that, uh, that we have major information on what may have happened to him. Robert B. was not searched for, really, and tips were not taken seriously until six weeks after he went missing. The cops are legitimately seen asking the community to stop searching when they're not doing any extensive searching themselves. Instead, they listed him as a runaway and didn't start searching till January when he went missing in November. What if he was alive for a couple days and all that needed to happen is the cops just needed to take one of the tips seriously and go get him. One of the things we tried to do and are still making some effort on is getting Bonsai's law enacted, which will make the police search for anyone, regardless of if they're a runaway or not. I don't know where else to go with this case. I don't know how to get someone to listen. Uh, we did go to bigger media sources. Obviously, we had some um, pretty decent-sized podcasts pick up the series and talk about it. Uh, we did try to get even bigger media sources without having much luck, and so that was kind of a bummer. But uh, I feel like if this stays online and people continue to watch it, maybe somebody much bigger and badder takes a look at this and can see if they can help some way. So I also just kind of want everyone to know that although we are wrapping up with this specific series, we are still working on it. We will still be working behind the scenes and we are still taking in tips. So if anyone is watching this and has a tip or has some information, please still feel free to reach out. If there's ever a break in the case, of course, we will uh, report on that at that time.
I do ask that you watch the other cases if you can, because the more people who are watching them, the better chance we have of solving them. And we now have season two and three up, and soon we will be adding season four. So please keep watching. We will give updates, and I hope that Bonsai eventually gets justice and can rest in peace. In memory of Robert Bonsai B. 2003 to 2016. Ashes to Ash is created by Ash Patino, editor Jenna A. Bush, assistant editor Michael Howard, crew Brianna Blankenfeld, Cole Ellers, Montana Samuels, Victoria Gockler, Justin Crompier, Kate Giordano. The actor who plays Bonsai, Barrett Helke. Presented by Generic Brand Human. Follow us on Facebook at Ashes to Ash True Crime and on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at Ashes to Ash TV. If you have any tips or information, we can keep you anonymous. Please contact us at ashland57 at gmail.com. A-S-H-L-A-N-D-5-7 at gmail.com. If you know of any illegal activity involving the case, then please contact your local police.